I'm thrilled today's guest, Brian Stelter. I've been a big fan for years, way back to when he was a Jimmy Olsen cub reporter at the New York Times at age 22, <laughs> doing the media beat there and talking about advertising and stuff that's near and dear to my heart. Um, he started his career very young, uh, kind of launched a TV news while at Towson State. Of course, for nine years, he hosted the hit show Reliable Sources. We're going to talk a lot about that, which I miss very much. One of my, my favorite shows. Best-selling author, two books, Top of the Morning Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and The Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Two great books. Um, he recently joined the Walter Shorenstein Media and Democracy Fellowship at the Harvard Kennedy School. He recently hosted a panel, Clear and Present Danger, a Disinformation at the World Economic Forum, Meeting in Davos. An important media voice. Thanks for joining us, my friend. I'm uh, thrilled to be here. Thank you. So how did this whole thing, I just want to start at a little beginning. How did this, whole, I mean, you're at Towson State, and all of a sudden you just, you, where did you get the balls to just like start TV news? Or like you're in, I was sitting there just smoking weed in college my whole time, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I needed money for beer. So I launched okay. the blog uh, and turned it into a job. Um, I, actually, I was just, I was, a, a, you know, I was a TV news junkie and I created the website that I wanted to read. And I feel like that's what I have in common with others who launch start who launch startups or blogs, websites. You know, you create the thing that you want to see in the world. And for me, you know, it just happened to be about MSNBC and Fox and CNN. This was almost 20 years ago, and cable news was becoming a, a real force to be reckoned with. And I just didn't feel like the media, you know, media reporters at other outlets, I felt like they didn't cover cable news well. They didn't give it the 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 attention it deserved. And of course, this was the, you know, this was Bill O'Reilly. This was the days of Keith Olbermann. This sure, was a different sure. era in cable news. Frankly, it was a much gentler era than it is now. But um, but I just loved it. And I wanted to write about it and, and others wanted to read it. So, you know, I started anonymously. Nobody knew who I was. They didn't know I was in college. So I think that probably helped me. But yeah. then within six months, it was too hard to keep it a secret. Um, there Literally, there would be Friday nights, I'd be out at a party and some big story would happen and I wouldn't be blogging about it. People started to notice that I would like be offline for three hours at a time when I had classes like it was just it was too hard to keep a secret so yeah. I revealed who I was and you know thankfully people kept reading and how'd you get the gig at 22 at the times I mean that's crazy <laughs> you know they, they hired me basically to keep doing what I was doing uh but but you know for the times to keep writing about television but they wanted me to broaden out and cover, cover all of tv but mostly online then I got there it's 2007 and I realized wait a second uh, the print paper the print paper is still the pinnacle back then it was still the most important product and they needed to fill it every day i thought it was going to be so hard to get into print i thought it was like so impossible to get a byline in the print paper and then i get there and i realize wait a second they need they need stories every day so yeah. i ended up really becoming mostly just a normal you know reporter in the newsroom just like everybody else covering things for print and digital um but it was all thanks to the blog they, they noticed me thanks to the blog what was your first print byline at the time? It was a story about the game show network. <laughs> Some random story <laughs> about a cable channel that does not even exist anymore. That's crazy, the game show network. And what would you say if you look back now, the most important piece you did then? I mean, you've, you've done so much since then, but I just I just want to go back to that. The most important piece I did. Something that you were um, most proud of or, you know. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm really proud of all the coverage of television news that, that then, then went into my book about morning TV, Top of the Morning, yeah. and, and it, was, it became a magazine cover story. I'm really proud of that. I think, I think we did really important pieces about uh, the streaming wars back before we knew the term streaming wars. You know, this is when Netflix ordered House of Cards. This was like the dawn of the I remember House age. of Cards was just it. 
it. There was nothing else. Yes, I mean, there was that nothing was it. else. That was it. And there were all these young people on YouTube starting to make shows and trying to find funding. And I would go out to LA and interview these, what we now call creators, you know, but back then yeah. it was, it was a brand new era. And we were just all starting to contemplate what it meant to have online video challenge TV. So I look back at, you know, as a reporter, you just want to be a little ahead of the curve, right? You just want to write a story that a year from now seems really smart, right? Like, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm proud that I did some of those once in a while. Yeah. And of course, you have an amazing run, Reliable Sources, which well documented. And I, I still don't understand to this day why it's not here anymore. Obviously, a lot of talk that you were kind of a prime uh, example of CNN not wanting to be too far to the left and moving to the center and the new regime and Chris Licht and John Malone and all the stuff. I still to this day, I, I don't, you were not, yes. You were somebody that was very opinionated, very, but you were certainly not this raging, crazy liberal. I don't get it. So please now, eight months later, post-mortem, explain what happened. The numbers were good. Uh, there was, you know, basically there was, give, give me, obviously, look, I've had a show leave the, I, I was somebody that, it, my show was not as prominent as yours, but I had a Saturday night show on MSNBC. Yeah. It was, the ratings were through the roof. And all of a sudden, just on a, after 14 shows, huh. it just on a Tuesday was gone. And the words I heard was that somebody at MS thought I was too extreme. This is before everybody was talk, huh. talk, calling Trump a, uh, a fascist and everything. And I was way ahead of that. But it seemed to be too much for them. And I, you know, it just, I don't know that officially, but that's what happened. But so, so you're to telling me that in that case, Saturday Night Politics, I remember, you still don't know officially why it was canceled. Uh, I was, I know off the record. Uh, I basically, <laughs> it was, as I said, I was doing, I was doubling CNN's total viewers. I was beating them in the demo. Every, like any way you could judge a show, every week it was growing. I was doing what my last, my last three shows went from, 80 in the demo to 114 to 118 to 130. Like, like you just couldn't, and it was yeah. getting buzzed. Trump was tweet, retweeting, I mean, was, was going <laughs> after me. Everything you want, and it was good. It was really good television. It was starting to become a destination. But I was, it was at a time that they were trying to, keep, I think, keep the, you know, not the inmates from not going too crazy. And I was not somebody that was grandfathered in. Now, Joe Scarborough can go wherever he wants and not going to do anything. I was mm. a new kid. I was not, and I think it was... Too much for them. I mean, I don't say that begrudgingly. It's a business. They have decisions to make, you know, but there was no logic in it. Let's put it the way. There was no, I've been in this business a long time. <laughs> I'm somebody that understands the business, yeah. understand how you judge a television show. Yeah. Any criteria, it was a hit. And well, it was that's just what I, on a Tuesday, you know. I, I mean, you're describing why I loved blogging about TV news a long yeah. time ago. It's why I love TV today. Like, there are ways to understand it as a business. And, you know, we both understand the business. And, and so that's, you know, I come at that in a similar way about Reliable Sources. I was so proud of that show. Um, I also It mattered. Frankly, it was a show that really mattered. It really in, did. In retrospect, you know? I also feel like I it was... I. If, what's the right word? It feels complete to me. In other words, like I mm -hmm. feel like I completed it in a way, even mm -hmm. though you know mm -hmm. I would have kept going if, if I had had the chance. But but I know the ratings were strong. I know it was uh, you know it was a relatively cheap show to produce. I know that uh, it was a show that mattered to CNN. So I, I know all that, and I can feel good about that. At the end of the day, I don't know why the show was canceled. I view it as a mystery, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm yeah. very content with it. What did they um, say to you? What did they say to you? Uh, I, well, I think Chris Licht uh, said on the record uh, that, that he didn't want to have a, he didn't think we the CNN needed a, a hour long show about media. And uh, that was the closest thing I heard. And some people would say that's an explanation. Others would not. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely, I mean, media is, media is not even in its own 
box anymore. Media is everything. I, I mean, exactly. It, that's it, what happened. That's what yeah. happened. That's what I feel like I experienced in my nine years at CNN. Media used to be this like this little subplot or beat, like this little niche, right? Right. And now it permeates every story. It is a part of every story. It is a part of stories about business and culture, and obviously politics and technology. And so I agree with you. I think it is everything, and you need to be able to understand how media works. Understand whatever how everything else works. So where does CNN? Uh, let's let's put you in the uh, in the CEO's chair of CNN, and I, I and I know Chris, and Chris is a friend of mine. Yeah, I saw dinner. Chris last night. Yeah, we've had dinners. I mean, you can see him at Polo most nights. It's just, I it's a real challenging gig right now because on the one hand, I I give it the equivalent of the Burger King problem. Burger King, they do burgers, and that's their thing. And every time they say, okay, we're on brand, we're going to stay with burgers, they start to fall back because they're not doing salads, they're not doing this, they're doing... Mm-hmm. Then they go, we got to get into the salad game. You get into the salad <laughs> game and then everybody goes, you're losing your core competency. You know right. I mean? And so that's kind of the CNN problem is that they are so this thing, they are the mm-hmm. world leader in news and they have to kind of be the news, you know, they can't go too far one way or the other and that's been their struggle. Yet if you stay in that box, right. it's a limited commercial proposition and it's a real challenge. So what would you do at this point with CNN? Oh gosh, no one. <laughs> I really don't think anybody's asked me that. Um, what would I? Um, um, here's the way I answer that question. All right, let me let me like let me take one step back about it. Like, what is CNN? You know, CNN's strength is that it is this incredible global news beast with reporters yes. all over the world uh, that can swarm stories. You know, you 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 know where to go. You you know what it's there for. And so, the number one job if you're the head of CNN is to keep that muscle strong. And by the way, I think Licht is, is doing that. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, when I saw him last night, I mentioned the, the coverage of the earthquake uh, in, in, in Turkey and Syria. And I thought- Well, that's what, they, that's what they excel at. Yeah, I mean, that's their exactly. Thing. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you yeah. keep that muscle strong, but yeah. then you're right. Then how do you expand beyond that? And you can do that in a variety of ways, um, but, uh, but you, you gotta keep the core strong. And I noticed recently they have, a, they have a brand new correspondent in Philadelphia. They've hired reporters in other places, other cities they didn't used to have people. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. You know, make sure you have as many reporters in as many places as possible beyond mm-hmm. New York and Washington and LA. I thought that was very smart. So I think that's something that, you know, I would, I would, I would continue to do. Um, I, I thought, it, you know, so, so those are a couple of things that come to mind. But the, the truth is, um, I, I think you... CNN is in a cable news environment and in a cable environment that is under an incredible amount of stress. As you, you know, this, as you said, it's a very yeah. difficult challenge for any TV network operator beyond just news, actually. Right. I mean, it's, you know, if you're if you're operating Bravo or uh, Food Network, you're also in a very challenging environment. Well, because of just, uh, all these just, it's just going, and it's just going backwards. It's just you. Mm-hmm. It is just a downhill slope. There's nothing going to do about it. It's ride it out, and there's another ten years, and that's it. I mean, that, that's it. That's oh, the you think? I, I don't think so. You think, I'm, that's much more pessimistic than I am. You well, you so? just by the way, you just look at the demos. The, I mean, the average age of somebody who's watching—forget about who's watching MSNBC. What do you think the average age of a hip late night show like Seth Meyers is? You would know there's been anybody. What is the demos? 60, 61? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, so it's just, it's, it's, just yes. it's just gonna keep, and there's not a new age group coming in. So we're gonna, that's why I don't think- But, I, but I Donnie, isn't, isn't a new 55 year old born every day? I mean, in other words, aren't people aging into television every day? As, I don't know if they're aging into it. That's my question. Is mm. somebody who has been a, that, I mean, that's a, that's a billion dollar question, obviously. I don't think behaviorally, they're going into it. Uh, mm. That's like saying people are walking into newspapers. You know, they're not. They're, somebody, nobody's ate. Like I was on, where, where was I that I just noticed this? I was on a uh, Amtrak train a few weeks ago. There was nobody holding a newspaper. 
Right. Not a one. Not a one. Right. Yep. So this is just pure behavior. It doesn't mean they're not reading the content. We obviously know how they're getting it. It doesn't yep. mean people are not going to be getting news and information. But as a, uh, and, it's, and what we've seen also, you know this better than anybody, as news has not translated to streaming. I mean, John Stewart, you know, the, the greatest, I don't want to say news and information personality of our time, but certainly one of the most prominent. His show just doesn't matter on Apple TV. It just, it doesn't, and I say this with great respect of, of John Stewart, and it's just, so there's this, there's going to be this cliff that we're staring at. I don't but, know what but, happens. But then with Stuart, I love the podcast that's the companion to the Apple TV series. And so yeah. I'm still in, in, you know, getting some still of that engaged, concept in yeah. a different way. It becomes a question of what is the new atomic unit of news or entertainment? And is it is that atomic unit a newsletter, podcast, TikTok video? Is it a single item or a tweet or a text? Um and how do media companies, you know, get get out of that? But let me push back in one way. I recently fell in love with the show American Auto on NBC. It's just like sitcom. It's great. 22 minute long episodes, nice and short. But, you know, I binged all 10 of them in a row. That's still like a, a legacy broadcast network product. Yes, yes. I still fell for it. Now, maybe that just means I'm getting old, but I don't feel ner- I don't. For me, Instagram's not enough. For me, those short little videos, TikToks, they're not enough. I still want longer form uh, entertainment and news. And I know I'm not the only one that still wants something that's well-produced and high quality. And I think these companies, what we see from the CNNs and the the NBCs and the defending that high quality experience, whether it's news or entertainment. shift for a second for to talk about fox news and, and you were kind of a one of the nice target i always say this, <laughs> I, this this is a compliment when they go after you you know i love when they call me donnie douche and it's all nice and and you were a target of tucker carlson's and and some of the other nice friendly folks over there i wonder with these guys you're t- tucker carlson are you an evil human being or are you just doing performance art i, I always wonder these guys i try and get it you know these guys he's a father he's got kids and the stuff that he i, I don't care whether your politics are it's just nasty ugly angry reprehensible and are they just playing to an echo chamber is it is it what i know you're not his shrink or these guys what like in other words is it you just you just hear some of the stuff they say i, I mean i was just listening the other just coincidentally something he was going on about chelsea handler chelsea handler went on right, did a right. video about being a single not a woman with no children single and how wonderful life is and he and some of the other uh you know, clowns on, on Fox got on and started just saying how miserable a woman has to be without children. And I, I mean, just basically inhumane stuff. And are they just, as I said, performance artists or is this their core? Let me try out a theory and maybe it's crazy, but is it possible to perform your way into true belief? Is it possible to entertain your way into a true believer? Because that's what I suspect it is. You know, I used to be so friendly with Sean Hannity. We would email back and forth. We would talk on the phone. Um, and now that relationship is dead. I'm sure you have relationships like that, that because yeah. of the Trump years, uh, those relationships are gone. That's a similar with Tucker. Tucker Carlson was one of the first donors to my blog. This is like weird, but true. He, I put up a little, you know, I was I was like 18 years old running a blog for free. I asked for donations. He sends $100 in the tip jar. Now, back then, I think he was on MSNBC or CNN. I forget which right. channel. Uh, later, he booked me on MSNBC for, for an interview. But, but you know, my point is that we, we had this relationship going back almost 20 years. 
Uh, and now he's on TV spewing hate and, and calling me terrible names and, and all of that. Um, and by the way, you know, you know, you know, he'll still text me or whatever. So, so I, I look at that and I think that's a guy who was performing, but now actually believes it. Yeah. Who now actually does believe what he's selling? And, well, uh, you basic—it's the echo chamber. You get out there. It's like it's what happened with Trump. With everything is, you know, build a wall and you get the biggest cheers, and that's who you become. You're completely transactional. And I, I believe, you know, I've known—I knew Trump for years, and I knew him as well as anybody could know him. He called me his friend. What that meant was he did my show a bunch of times at CNBC. I did The Apprentice <laughs> for four years. We right. would go to the same show. I lived in his building. You know, like he, the, the only the definition of friend for him, right? And everybody would always say to me, was he always this evil guy? And I would say, I used to think of him as a guy who I wouldn't want to be in a foxhole with, you know, like kind of a lounge act, just kind of a sleazeball, not evil, but just kind of a transactional, mm -hmm. watch your back kind of guy. Right. And, and I think that was formed by the, I think this evil and this 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 critter that, we, that he's become was formed in the echo chamber and was formed by the responses he's got to things and then he just owned it and it became him. And I think that's the same thing with Tucker Carlson. When you say evil, do you worry that you are just contributing to the poison discourse? No, because I think this, I, th I think when you're, when you, when you're make fun of, you go back to some of the old great hits, when you make fun of uh, disabled people or, and you spew hate and you, you, you give Nazis the same credibility as other people. I mean, all of, we could, we go on for nine hours. I think it's he's a bad man. Now, yeah. 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 I think he's a bad man. I, I, I think that, that that's where I start. I'm like, forget Pat. Like I just, I just think the basic human decencies that we've been brought up on, which is honesty, which is empathy, which is uh, fair play, which is truth, which is uh, dignity, which is sensitivity, just the basic cores of what makes us good versus evil. He's not. I, I, and I don't, I don't think that there's another side to the argument. You may like him. You may believe in what he believes in. And I'm one of these people, I'm very good at having back and forth. I'll never go to somebody. How the fuck could you vote for Trump? What's wrong with you? I'm like, I'll go, I start with, you know, I get why you voted for him for the first time. Hillary was a was a bad candidate, and let's take a flyer. I'm just challenged after watching four years, and just basically, let's start with just the decent versus an indecent. Are you comfortable with it? Like, I'll never like, mm. I'll never invalidate anybody. That's the problem we have. Right. But I, I get into very good discussions that way. But having said that, I'll say, look, I get it. I just, how do you start with somebody who just, at the core is just not decent? You know, I feel like this this that's what has broken our politics is that. Candidates and politicians, Republicans, Democrats, anybody, uh, even if they didn't believe in certain values or morals or ethics, they would at least pretend to. They would at least say the right things, pretend that they would have they would have PR people out there claiming the right things. And and Trump did away with all those so many, so many of those pretenses. Um, and, and it did become about decency versus indecency. And that's what kind of broke us and, and in the media as well, because if, if you as a television anchor believe in decency and believe politicians should be decent, then then you have to call out indecency. And by doing that, you are becoming, uh, you become a hate object for, you know, this, uh, this, this certain minority group that is uh, absolutely committed to the Trump cause. It, I still, I, you know, now that I'm like enjoying fun employment and I've had this time off to actually think about all this stuff in the past, it just, to me, it feels like Trump hit us in the weakest part of our body. Yes. And we are, we are still grappling with the consequences uh, of that and, and for our media, for our neighborhoods, for our communities, for our politics, et cetera. So explain to me, as a, somebody who obviously watches this stuff, we talk a lot about this on Morning Joe, 
the, yeah. the, the thing that is stunning about the Republicans now is that you figured the common sense was, okay, they'll go through a few losing cycles and then they'll go, okay, this is a losing proposition. We got to move on. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be happening. They, they are, they are really, they fall and they can't get up. So explain the Republicans that voting for Trump is a losing proposition. Forget you like, like, I mean, that it's just, the numbers don't add up anymore, particularly post January 6th. It's like, he is not a winning, that's not a winning ticket. We've seen it. So why? It depends on what you mean by winning. If winning, winning general is just, election, general election. Right, right. But if winning is just a, putting up a middle finger and feeling good about flicking off the people you hate, then, then it's winning. Then it is winning. You know, and, and if, you, if you care less about political outcomes, I'm just thinking out loud, okay? If you care less about electoral outcomes, if you, if you care less about a policy agenda than you do about a culture war uh, battle, then I think some of the, the Trump, Trumpian effects make more sense that way, right? I, yeah. I, if, you, if you think about, um, it's incredible the degree to which, let's take Fox, because I still think like I'm a student of Fox News. So if you if we were to measure the segments on Fox News, right, the, the amount of discussion about uh, about foreign policy or about even Social Security, although it's been in the news recently, they're talking so much more about transgender trans, and yeah, about ESG and about CRT. Right. They're talking so much more about white identity. It's really they're the different ways of touching on white Christian conservatives feeling under threat. That's mm-hmm. really the whole that's the whole story. That's, all, that's, the, whole this, that's, a whole that's t- it's been the whole thing. The whole network. Yeah. That was Trump. And, that was Trump. And and that was Trump, as opposed to what we would think of as a Reagan Republican. And and yes, yeah. I understand that he would still exploit culture war wedge issues, but but it's it is it is fundamentally different now that it seems uh, some candidates run just to seem like they are battling the culture war and not trying to win votes or or pass bills, obviously. So what's, what's and that's a consequence say, of our media system, right? That's yes, a consequence of our yes. broken media system and our social media infrastructure. So let let's say you're advising Ron DeSantis, and we see Nikki Haley doing it. How not to do it? To come out and basically like everybody's trying to figure out how do you curtsy around Trump, not not diss him, but you know not take him on. And basically, why can't somebody come forward and go, you know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump's the, we like Donald Trump, but he's not going to win anymore, and we have to mm. win. And I'm going to like if if I'm DeSantis, I kind of just am like, look. Let's just talk Turkey here. We, we the Republic, we, we can't lose control of this country. We're losing it. You may like Donald Trump. He's just not a winner and we have to win. And I'm just telling the truth and the numbers don't add up for him. I'm here. Why can't someone just come out and say that? That's the only, it's the only kind of lane you have at this point. Hasn't had DeSantis hinted at that. Uh, you know, he, 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 he did a very gentle version of that. My sense is that he wants to wait as long as he can, you know, keep, you know, let Trump, you know, campaign against himself for as long as he can yeah. and then come in and swing and hit that way. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you see this playing out? Um, boy, it's, we're still almost a year from the primaries, right? So I, I what I see is people are going to want to hold their fire until the entire, the whole entire country, or at least the entire party is really clicked in and paying attention. Yeah. Um, as opposed to having the fights, you know, um, yeah. uh, this, this spring or summer, you know, then again, then again, I'll never forget the summer 2015, right? With with Trump entering the race, and then three weeks later, insulted John McCain. You know, back up. We kept, we kept saying, "Oh, it's over, it's t- over, it's over." Yeah, it, we, I used to tape my show. We used to tape it on Fridays and edit it down and run the you know get the best parts. Right. Like I would run long, edit it down, right. run it on Sunday. 
And uh, Trump just ruined that. We could no longer tape the show on Friday because right. uh, there sure. was going to be news over the weekend. So I, I tape the show on Friday. I go down to Ocean City, Maryland with my family. And then Saturday night is when Trump insults McCain. So I'm in the car Sunday morning, racing back to Washington, racing in to do a live show. And I'm on the phone with Sean Spicer. We're talking about how Trump has to quit the race. This is over now, right? And then lo and behold, we were both wrong. And so, so that experience of the summer makes me think, yeah, maybe this isn't, maybe he is going to heat up faster, right? Maybe something yeah. will happen where it will get really amped up really early. But it feels to me like it's in DeSantis' interest to, to wait as long as he can. Yes, I agree with you. And then have the fight. The problem DeSantis has, and I've heard this from all of the people who are close to him, is that he knows this. He could probably one-on-one, because what'll happen is it'll be the two of them and everybody else. And everybody else will be at one or two percent, and the two of them will fight it out. Even if he beats Trump, Trump will run as an independent just to fuck him, just to just go. I'd rather I'd rather give it to Biden than give it to this new version of me that would be much more threatening to him. So that's that's the problem. You got Trump one way or another. Who's not going away? Who's so that, that it's just that's it. He's not. You think he's if even if he loses in a primary, he's just going to drift off into the sunset? No, he'll run as an independent and take fifteen or twenty percent. Just hand it to the Democrats. But is it possible that enough? Um has enough time started to go by that the connection to Trump will fa- has faded and will continue to fade? In other words, it'll every, fade to a degree, but there'll still be every, this. To your point, these people that just want to put a finger up. So even if it goes down, even if his base goes down to instead of 30%, yeah. goes down to right. 10%, he's still right. costing I mean, Every election. month you lose yeah. a percent. Yeah. Right. yeah, but even at 10%, even at 8%, you know, he raised Ross Perot. Uh, right. And that's, they have a big problem. Let's shift gears for a second. Morning TV, you obviously, best-selling book. You're a producer, executive producer of The Morning Show, which I love. Uh, where do you see Morning TV going at this point? Just a producer, not an executive. That's okay, okay. <laughs> all right. Let's throw, I'm calling you an executive you know, you know, producer. You know, Donnie, you know? I don't want to, you know, Reese, Reese and Jen, Reese Willis, those are the executive producers. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was just out on the set. Uh, we, we just wrapped season three production. Okay. Uh, so it'll come out, I think, there this year. Uh, so, well done, so, well sure. so well done, so well done, so well done. It was such an interesting experience because, you know, my book was just, you know, kind of inspiration for create this other, you know, this fictional world. And every season, you know, the world expands and changes. And so we have some things in store for that in season three. But I look at morning television and I still, you know, I still wake up with it. I still love it. You know, I I watch you on Morning Joe. I I wish, I wish we could come get to a point where like, you know, I live in a Comcast household, right? So like I have Xfinity. I would love for my TV just to turn on at 7 a.m. on the Today Show kind of automatically. Like I wish we could get to use technology to get this this stuff in front of even more people because as habits do change and some people don't turn the TV on in the morning. They just, you know, look at Twitter, look at their email. I, I, these shows are special and they're a special part of the, the country's firmament. And I, I hope that we can keep find creative ways to get them in front of lots of people for, for the rest of, you know, the like, cycle. <laughs> do you, um, morning TV, particularly the, the, the broadcast of today shows, the, yeah. the Good Morning America is the, they're basically down to about 15 minutes of news now. And the rest of it is just kind of, I don't want to call it fluff because I don't want to minimize what they do, but much lighter. How are you? How do you handicap the shows right now as far as the quality of the shows in the morning? Well, I, news is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean, okay. I, you know, you're, you're fair, right. That, fair, you know, that, right. But, but, but like to me, when they are interviewing an author about a book or they're talking about uh, lifestyle trends or work from home versus going to the office, that I, to me, that is news. I think that is news. I, uh, but when you talk about the headlines, right? Yes, the headlines are the first 15, 20 minutes. Now, 
I would actually argue sometimes those headlines are less relevant to me than the features later. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of turning on the TV. You and could get hearing, the headlines on your phone. I mean, you yeah, don't I don't, need them, I don't right? really yeah, need yeah, to yeah. hear the body count. You yeah. know, I think about it differently now because I have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And, and so when I, when I left CNN, um, I, uh, I became the stay-at-home dad. I, I used to have to have a nanny at six in the morning because I never knew what, what day I would be on the CNN morning yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I'm the one making them breakfast and the TV's on in the background. And, and frankly, like, I don't really want to see all the, 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 the crime coverage in the morning when, when, we're, when we're having breakfast. I, I kind of think sometimes uh, those other stories that they're doing later in the hour or the next hour are actually the ones that are, that are better and more compelling mm-hmm. for morning TV. But yeah, that's the thing. Because of the headlines on your phone, that is what's fundamentally changed everything. That's what every media executive worries about and thinks about is because uh, we, we all have a supercomputer in our pocket. Um, the every everything else has to change. Every other show has to change. Every form of content has to change as a result, right? And we're still all we're still midway through that story. Yeah. The story's not over yet. Far from it. So the Brian Stelter story. Where are we going next? Well, I live on a farm now, and I want to okay. raise goats and chickens, <laughs> and uh, that's that's the plan. I gotta I gotta start with the. We cleaned out the barn. The barn's ready. Now we got to get the animals. Um, now now I, I I half say that as a way to avoid your question, but it's actually true that that is a that is a big part of the plan. Uh, we actually we we literally moved to the farm same coincidentally same day I left CNN. Wow. It was like the perfect you know that moment where everything in your life changes all at once. Right. Perfect. Right. You know, it was right. awesome that it happened that way. Um, but, 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 you know, in terms of, in terms of my life, you know, there have been a few times where I've missed, you know, being out there, not very uh-huh. much, but a few times. So I've started writing for a few of my favorite outlets, all the publications right. that I loved growing up reading. I, I want to write for those and get bylines in those. So I've written for Esquire and the Atlantic and I'll have some more coming up. Yeah. Brian Stelter, we love your work. Keep it up. Get out there in a big way. Keep up the good fight. You're one of the good guys. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Good talking with you.